everybody, and welcome to the Medevac Podcast. I'm your host, Christian Myers, with our other host here today. Hello. David Reed. Uh, before we hop into today's episode, keep in mind there's a price for the show. You have to share it with a friend or family member. It's required. Jonas Asito. Comment below. Yeah, working on my Spanish. There's been some good comments lately. We need more questions from you guys. Yes. If you guys want to uh, cover any specific topics or uh, hear from anyone specifically, let us know and we'll uh, do our best to get them on the show. We have a part two episode today. Yes. Who's our guest? Welcome back, Colonel Don Crawford. Thanks for being Hi. here today. Sure you me Retired, of course. Retired. Retired, of course. If you haven't uh, seen Don's initial episode, it's episode 15. You can go back and we cover uh, pretty much his life in the military up till around now. And uh, part two today. So here we go. Really cover the, the fundamentals of his career, you know, who he is, dives into that. Today, we're going to get into a little bit more of his experiences within the military and outside of the military community, as well as some input on treatment into post-traumatic stress. Yep. So welcome, Don. Thanks for being here today. Welcome back. Where do we start? (laughs) Now, so last time we we spoke about kind of like your experience into... uh, the, the military, as far as the medical training that you went through, some of the deployments you went through, which you kind of did outside of it. And I kind of want to just dive right back into uh, a couple of questions of, you know, what are some of the most impactful experiences that you had, you know, in your early phases of your medical profession? So some challenging kind of things you didn't expect, if you will. Well, I mean, if we're talking, I guess, militarily, you know, early on, my timing was, um, I don't know, some people would say good, some people would say extremely bad, mm-hmm. uh, that when I, you know, moved from the infantry to medical school and then to residency here at Fort Sam Houston in emergency medicine, and my timing was such that I graduated, you know, right at 9-11. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it was just hit hit the sweet spot as far as bad timing is, uh, <laughs> availability is concerned. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, the, the, the war, you know, started to ramp up early October, November, uh, you know, that 2002 there after nine 11 and, yeah. um, people were starting to move forward and everybody was trying to figure out, you know, how are we going to, you know, this is kind of a new, new objective here. We're moving into Afghanistan. We're coming mm-hmm. in from Pakistan, coming in from aircraft carriers and they're trying to get people on the ground and they're mm-hmm. trying to get all the support infrastructure set up. And, you know, we still have the same old um, issues that we have between every major conflict of, you know, territorialism as mm-hmm. far as who's responsible for what yes. and not stepping on other people's toes and, you know, everybody wanting to, you know, be a valued member of the team. And, uh, you know, and, and of course, over the next 20 years, we figured out that there was plenty of war for everybody <laughs> and uh, there really wasn't a need uh, to uh, try to you know, keep, keep lanes separate. It was, it was better to bring talent across the lanes and, Mm -hmm. you know, share all of the, uh, you know, the bad things that happen. Uh, you can't, you know, just, you know, you can't have enough friends in a gunfight and you can't have enough, you know, can't have enough extra hands in a mass casualty situation. And what most people don't realize is that, you know, a medical unit, like, you know, uh, especially the special operations guys, I mean, they have the best medics in the world, Yeah. but once you have a, you know, moderately to significantly wounded uh, soldier on the ground or, you know, out of the action, uh, they, they become an enormous focus of resources. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it, 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 the, you know, one of the big goals 
uh, for the organization I was in, um, supporting these guys, you know, forward, especially when we would go forward on the objectives with mm-hmm. them, was to keep their combat fo- power moving forward, you know, maintaining momentum and accomplishing the mission and helping their intrinsic medical support, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the medics that they had kind of stay forward, you know, at, you know, where the, you know, on the, on the breach and us taking care of, you know, as, as we, you know, consolidate the objective and pulling the more significantly wounded to, you know, care. Just once again, co-mingling the resources in such a way that, it, you know, the, the, the commander and the primary focus and the, the, the point of impact is still has all the momentum. Mm-hmm. And we're just trying to keep all that momentum forward, yet still making sure that there's a, the best possible outcome for, you know, a wounded guy. So it's, it seems like there is a lot of adaptability in first, and we've had a lot of guests on Dr. Mike Simpson, you yeah. know, you was a resident doctor for you, actually. Right. Brooklyn Medical Center, yes. And, you know, it's, it's kind of unique in that your experience has a, a great gradation of the time it took from the beginning. You know, you served in the, in the 80s to 2013. Right. Right, 1986? No, I came in in 83, but- 83. Yeah. So you got to see medicine really transform over that post 9-11 to 2013, pretty much the brunt of. I would say the biggest transition in military medicine, you probably remember this from, you know, when, when I was an infantry officer and we were doing training and RTEPs and evaluations and everything like that, um, nobody ever wanted to deal with two things, you know, the medical or logistics, you yes. know, you, you just always wanted to focus on mission, mission, mission. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, accomplishing that and, you know, every, all the T's being crossed and I's being dotted and mm-hmm. getting all the check marks that you need. And probably one of the more re- unrealistic aspects of that training that we did was dealing with, you know, the impact of, you know, resupply and medical support, mm-hmm. especially, you know, at the point of injury. Um, and, how that affects the, you know, the mission momentum, you know, I'm just talking that, you know, you might have 40 or 50 guys on an objective, but if you have two of them on stretchers, about 25% of your compact power is already pulled to those two guys. Yeah. Focused elsewhere. Depending on how heavy they are, you know, and if they're on stretchers, you know, you get four to six guys and depending on the train. Mm-hmm. So you've pulled a full squad, mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, just to transport that doesn't have anything to do with their care or anything of that nature. And it, you know, it, you know, how it affects the, the, the rate of movement, the speed of movement. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it, it adds a tremendous dynamic for the leaders on the objective, you know, especially in a lot of the cases, uh, you know, the first sergeant uh, on the objective or the platoon sergeants, you know, they, they, they were normally who I was coordinating with mm-hmm. uh, as far as the movement of the casualties, um, on the objective and that sort of thing. And, uh, you know, it, it's a huge dynamic. I mean, you know, does the, does the person, can we take the person out on, um, you know, the infill vehicles or, you know, how, how, how seriously injured is he? Yeah. Do we need to get this person out five minutes ago? Or is this somebody that we can, you know, not interfere with the, you know, the, the conduct of the mission, but still keep, you know, safe and, you know, have a good outcome with and a lot of, you know, a lot of judgment because, uh, you know, when bullets and shrapnel and things are flying around and they hit the human body, um, you know, you have no idea what, you, you think you might know where that bullet went when, sure. it, when it hit somebody, but the actual amount of damage is still, you know, there's always a certain amount of 
unknown involved mm-hmm. and you're dealing with the youngest, healthiest, most focused guy. Mm-hmm. I mean, for all of the guys that I ever came up on to help when they were hurt or injured or anything of that nature, um, just by the nature of who I was working with, um, you know, everyone was concerned about somebody else. Everyone was, they were okay. Take care of somebody that's more injured than they are. Yeah. You know, yeah. Uh, I, oh, you know, and your yeah. legs are heavy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think I can walk. No, I'm pretty sure you can't. <laughs> yeah. Um, as was your case. <laughs> you know? yeah, that was my case. <laughs> you know, the, uh, uh, it just, you know, amazing, you know, when you're, when you're dealing with these folks, uh, the, the quality, uh, just the focus that they have and the just absolute, um, commitment and uh, selflessness selflessness they have to the to what's going on around them yeah that's i mean i think that's one of the biggest and and most remarkable traits of of military members and and veterans is they're the amount of selflessness that is expected from them right i'm not saying every single one of them are are that way but you routinely find that um and i think it's due to the camaraderie that we have within those units right even oh yeah when you get four dudes who are shot up and they're all like no go focus on my buddy, please. That, that sense of selflessness is instilled in them and it kind of becomes part of them and it's showcased right. in, in it, situations. It, it really is. And, uh, you know, once again, they just always trying, no matter how badly hurt they were, they're yeah. trying to detract the, they don't want to be the focus of mm-hmm. attention. It, and it's also like yeah. you said, is that, you know, you're pulling a whole squad off that front line. Yeah. yeah. To help these guys out. So I, I think a big part of it, you know, being on that end of it was feeling like a burden almost. It's like... Yeah, nobody wants to be the guy that's down around the yeah. shoulder that other guys are having to pull, it's yeah, almost pull like resources to. You almost have a feeling of being sorry. Mm. You know what I mean? Sorry for being dead weight when you should be pulling your weight. And you're, you're, that's instilled in you throughout your whole career in the military is pull your weight. You know, mm-hmm. don't be the weakest link. And then when you get hit, you kind of feel that way. Hundred percent. Yeah, you know, and uh, you know, even if they're you know having trouble talking, they're still trying to get you to feel that they're not the the biggest problem that you have to deal with yeah. out there at that moment. I think that's and, why it's so important to have a medevac or a casavac, um, you know, postured when you're when you're out on missions like that. If you've got right. thirty or forty dudes on an objective, it might be beneficial to have a helicopter standing by in case somebody gets hurt, because exactly like you said. As soon as someone goes down, that's 25% of your resources. You've got six other dudes, probably two providing medicine, four carrying a litter. Like that's that's a substantial amount of, of firepower and and eyes that are focused inwards now. Well, one of the things though is, I mean, um, once again, I was, you know, almost I was entirely with you know JSOC mm-hmm. tier one units. Yeah. Um, and the other thing was, um, we always had. Uh, we call them what strap hangers or the coattail guys or, yeah. <laughs> but you know, and the, the, the folks that were, that had other than seizing the objective or destroying whatever the target was uh, that did the immediate analysis, Intel gathering, um, and had other jobs, you know, then we all know about the, you know, uh, utilization of, uh, you know, cell phone and, um, yeah, sure. Yeah. So, uh, the uh, computers and, and all, you know, yeah. and, and the bringing all of that data yeah. in. Well, there's always normally a, you know, a group of those guys. And once the, once you got with one of these units and everything like that, you know, getting those guys trained up very quickly to, um, I would rather use them mm-hmm. than, you know, pull a, pull a ranger off uh, the, yeah. 
So job specific, right? You pull yeah. those, the teams that are not as combat proficient. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, you want gunfighters to carry guns. Yeah. Well, and, best, best yeah. medicine yeah. in the battlefield. And I, I certainly wanted them to be doing that because, you know, the one thing about being medical out there or being one of these others is my, my entire focus, once there was an injured or a casualty out there, uh, you know, you always talk about situational awareness and this, that, and this sort of the other thing, but it was normally dark. There was normally a lot of confusion, yeah. you know, a lot of communication challenges going on. And, you know, I'm doing my, you know, I'm trying to 100% focus on, you know, the, the guy that's down in front of me and mm. figuring out what I need to do to stabilize him to make sure we can get him to the next level of care, mm-hmm. uh, you know, where he'll have a good outcome. Yeah. And uh, I'm, I'm completely exposed, you know, 100%. I mean, I am mm-hmm. 100% focused and, you know, you get into these compounds and these these farmhouses and these that you know they they they're built out of some sort of clay and mud, mud and yeah, you know and, and, and there's rooms where you don't expect them. Every doorway is a different height. They yeah. got spirals over walls with yeah, rugs over. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So there's so many variables. And yeah. you know, and you know, I one time I was taking care of. I was coming through through an objective, and um, you know, of course, I was following through behind, and there was a young um um uh, afghani national on the on the ground and mm. i i was just fairly certain from initial viewpoint that he was in very bad shape because he had basically been stitched from crotch to the bottom of his chin yeah but you know i stopped to just drop down and do an assessment real quick and uh you know it, you know a, a family member a female family member you know came out of one of these back back rooms and uh you know had a world war ii german seven millimeter mauser and you know i'm down on the ground at a point blank range there's no body armor on me that's going to freaking stop that weapon yeah Yeah, way and uh you know fortunately there was another you know um another gunfighter behind me that you know watched over me and you know neutralized that threat damn um because it was I'm, I'm I'm there, and I mean my 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 weapon's actually you know behind me, and yeah. and this is uh, you know a family member, mother, sister, somebody that just lost you know their entire world and their whole world play had nothing to lose. Yeah, and uh, but you know I was completely exposed. So you know, but that was that was one of the things about you know. So you have to have just a tremendous amount of trust in the team that you're traveling. Oh, 100 percent. Yeah, 100 percent. Uh, as a matter of fact, uh, you know, you, you asked about funny stories and that sort of thing. And, uh, you know, it wasn't right at the beginning of the war where, uh, you know, normally the units um, only took their intrinsic, their their organic medics on the objective with them. Mm-hmm. Um, but as the missions got deeper and farther out, and as we got farther and farther away from surgical, immediate surgical, you know, the relevance of the the joint medical unit that I was in of being a very, very far forward resuscitation and surgical asset, yeah. you know, just kind of kept ratcheting up. And as we dealt with more injuries and the commanders and, you know, more importantly, the senior NCOs saw that we were a very valuable asset to mm-hmm. getting guys home alive. Yeah. You know, you become a very, very quickly, you become a victim of your success and <laughs> they start pushing the envelope farther and farther forward yes. um, as far as, you know, where you can help out, where you can be of service. Mm-hmm. Um, once again, just by virtue of timelines, you know, the time that I stepped out to go, go to medical school and residency and had left the infantry and specifically the Ranger type units, 
um, you know, all of those guys that were mid-level NCOs and officers had become the battalion commanders and first sergeants. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I still knew them. And I, I still knew a, a tremendous amount, a number of them. So that reputation builds. Well, you know how it is. I mean, work, yeah. if you have two people and you're looking at one and I know him, he's an asshole, but he's functional. Mm-hmm. I have nothing about this guy. You know, I'm going to go with a known asshole. Yeah. Yeah. You know, because... I have a pretty good feel that, you know, how, how of what operate. he'll do, yeah. what they'll do. And if you had been in an organization like that, it did kind of, uh, you know, like Mike Simpson, you mentioned. Yes. Mike had been, a, you know, a sergeant first class in the special forces. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so then he turns around and comes back as a physician. Um, you know, if you're working with those kind of guys, they're going to say, okay, well, this guy has some background in this. And I always joked about it. You know, uh, there was always a, you always had to watch how you presented yourself. Um, and I, I can only speak for physician, you know, but we had nurse anesthetists and we had other, you know, folks that were with us. But um, you didn't want to seem too eager to get too far forward. I mean, there's always folks that want to, uh, you know, get the combat, infra, you know, the combat badges yeah. or, you know, everybody, every soldier wants to know how they're going to perform in a certain situation. And we all have images of ourselves and what we're going to do under these types of things. And the worst thing you could do was present, be overly eager and, um, you know, when I, when I would be talking with them or something like that, and I said, well, you know, you, you know, you used to be a ranger. I said, yes, used to be, <laughs> you know, yes. At one point I was, yeah. I said, all that transitions into right now is I know how to stay out of the way. Mm-hmm. I know how to focus on my job and let you guys do your job. Mm. And I want you to have the, the, you know, the peace of mind to know that more likely than not, I'm not going to shoot you in the ass by accident. Yeah. Yes. In a bad situation. And you know that I'm going to be able to focus on doing what you, you brought me along to do. That's an interesting concept. I think that a lot of people would have a hard time wrapping their head around that. Oh, yeah. Right. I, 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 and I'm sure you've seen it. Oh, yes. Yeah. I, it's, well, you know, combat is one of those things where it's theory until it's not. Yeah. And the <laughs> most of the time, you know, and, and, and everybody has a mental image or a thought process of how they're going to perform if they're ever put in that situation and what they're going to do. Yeah. And where, where the reality of what happens and w- what you think you were going to do is there's a huge lot of variation in there. I, I, you know, we just talked about this the other day. We were, you know, a, a little bit of a stretch here, but we were talking about um, this, this exact topic of like, for instance, survival shows. Everybody sits there fat and sassy <laughs> on the couch and they say, this is what I do. This, you know, blah, 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 X, Y, Z. I would do so much better. But when you're in that situation and you're exposed to all those variables right. and an ever-changing dynamic situation, yeah. it, it's totally, everything's out the window. Yeah. Everyone yeah. knows what they're going to do until they get punched in the face, right? Exactly. No, that's, that's, that's the classic saying. But you know. I think you... I think you had a significant advantage over most people in your position, given that you were an infantry officer and you had, you know, deployed and done things with ranger units prior to being an MD. So you know exactly what what they're going to be doing at those times and how to stay out of their way. But I think uh, part of it, I think there's an ego part that comes into play because I think there's a lot of people who could be in that exact position that you were in and say, no, no, I know better. I've done this longer and I'm also you know, filling these X, Y, Z positions. I'm also an MD or I also carry this weight. People always talk about the fears that you're going to have and everything like that. And knowing your role. Yeah. You know, I I understood the fears of the leaders because at one point I had been a leader and Mm -hmm. 
you know, failure, you know, mission failure, losing people. Sure. You know, any of the myriad of bad things that could happen. Yeah. And, you know, the, I, I think the only advantage I had was that I came in with the intrinsic fear. My single biggest fear was God, I don't, you know, even more so than being hurt or injured, it was letting these guys down. Yes. Yeah. It was. And, and I, when I trained young guys that came after me and I trained guys on my own team, you know, it, my mantra was always the same. You know, once, once we're involved, you need to just 100% focus on doing what you're here to do. Yes. Mm-hmm. You have to trust these guys are the best at what they do. Mm-hmm. And they brought us along to be the best at what we do. Mm-hmm. And just focus on that. Yeah. You got you to gotta kind of drown out the other noise. Um, as far as, you know, even up to and including, you know, potential threats. Mm. And that's where the trust factor came in. Um, I, uh, you know, I, you know, like when I was going over my, you know, my wife was at points worried about, you know, the fact that I was going to be in dangerous patients, dangerous situations in front of the family who we were talking about before this started, a Dr. You know, Bob, Robert Mabry, an ex real high end, uh, you know, operator. Uh, came over and was, you know, and he, he, he told my wife, he probably doesn't even remember this, but he, he told my wife, he said, you know, Beth, the good thing for Don is he's going to be with the best soldiers in the world. Yeah. And if it's humanly possible, they will never let anything happen to him. Yeah. 100, you know, 100%. And that actually led to some, you know, some of the more interesting or funny stories because when it did get to the point where, you know, we're sustaining a significant number of casualties and we were far enough forward that, you know, we, we, it was it was beneficial to have higher level resuscitation and surgical yeah. skills present mm-hmm. than you know say paramedic level yeah mm-hmm. um, you know advanced airway techniques advanced you know uh, ventilation techniques yeah um, and that sort of thing that a person trained to to do what I did was there you know to just optimize the chance of bringing everybody home but um, you just it, it's it, it's it's like I said you just gotta focus. 100% on what you're doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and Bob told, you know, those guys will, they will, they will stack up in front of him. You know, they will appreciate the fact that he's there. Yeah. And, you know, and, and I, I always knew that if I was going to, you know, if, if it was going to go bad for me, it was going to be so bad. Everybody was going to be gone. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, you- that is a significant peace of mind when you're, you know, but my, my, my enormous fear was making a bad call, not, uh, not judging somebody to be as sick as they actually were, mm-hmm. um, you know, not getting something tied off or bleeding controlled in a certain situation or hell, something as simple as getting a tourniquet on tight enough. Mm-hmm. You know, it just my, my, my fear was not being the best at my job. And I, I, I actually delved into that and focused on that and mentally rehearsed, you know, what I was supposed to do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I just had complete and total faith in the guys around me um, that they would make sure that everything else was taken care of. Sure. No, yeah. I, I, you know, went out one time with, uh, I, I spent a lot of time with uh, third range of battalion, mm-hmm. uh, B company. And, you know, every time a company comes and new people are getting to know new people and you're kind of a unknown asset. And I was going to go out on a mission with, as I did, you know, most nights. Um, I, you know, the first night we're going out and I'm, I'm traveling with the, uh, the, the headquarters element, mm. you know, in kind of the middle of the formation on the movement in 
and you know, I'm identifying everybody, you know, company commander, you know, his, his RTOs, his JTAC, his, um, you know, all the, all the people around you yeah, and everything like that. And then there's this one guy uh, who I recognize as one of the NCOs from, you know, one of the team leaders or, you know, an E5 and, you know, just kind of floating around and everything like that. And when we would stop being, you know, and everything like that. And it, it took me probably longer than it would a smart bear, but I finally figured out probably about two or thirds of the way from the mission. This guy had been assigned to watch me. <laughs> I mean, he was my shadow. He was, he was solely there to make sure I didn't do something stupid. <laughs> didn't, you know, didn't get hurt or anything like that. And, you know, babysitter. and there's two ways to take that. Yeah. And, you know, I, I thought about both ways. One, I appreciated the fact, cause I wasn't a youngster. I mean, the war started, I was 37, 38 years old mm-hmm. and, I was still going on missions when I was 44, you know, so I was twice the age of the vast majority of these and had quite a few more miles on. So, you know, it's, I was kind of more of the senior NCO level of wear and abuse Yeah, that, uh, sure. <laughs> that we had out there. And, uh, but, you know, and, and of course you never, you know, smart enough, you, Hey, the, the, you're on the mission. The only thing that you worry about on the mission is the mission. Yeah. yeah. And, getting there and, you know, just praying every step of the way that you don't hear a click when you step down or you don't, you know, fall into some. I can tell you from experience. You know, and, I don't you know, think there was a click. Yeah. <laughs> there and, might have been. Oh, no, I, like, you know, you talk about Afghanistan, you know, Afghanistan and if you read enough, you realize that the, you know, the Russians threw like what, 10 million mines or something like that across the countryside out there. Littered. Littered. Yeah. You know, it's just yeah. littered and you're walking across the thing. And so you, well, this, so I had, I had my own shadow and, you know, <laughs> when we got back from the mission and I, I just, you know, the company commander who was there that night, who's a very good friend of mine now, um, you know, went to his wedding and we still, you know, just how those relationships develop over time. I, his name was Nate. And uh, I just, you know, I said, Hey, you know, Nate, I said, if, if you have the level of concern that you have to take one of your you know, junior leaders to just make sure I don't get in trouble, yeah. I said, you're probably better off leaving me behind. Mm. I, I said, you can't. I said, you're, you're either going to have to trust that I'm not going to, you know, accidentally hurt one of your guys or, you know, run out in front, you know, screaming in my long underwear or whatever your fear <laughs> is, you know. Or, you know, kind of, and, and he was like, yeah, you're right. And, you know, we were, it was pretty good, but there's always that getting to know you. And so that, that uh, changed over time. So right. as soon as it's developed, as soon as people, and then once you've actually been in a few um, dust ups with them and you've, you've taken care of a few of the guys. Prove yourself. But, yeah. but I will tell you that what you did on the objective, and this is once again, you know, when younger guys came after me and everything like that, and they would ask, is nowhere near as important as what you did for these guys when you weren't out, hmm. you know, uh, because they're very clannish. I mean, you got fire teams, you got special operations teams, and these guys are little tiny family cells within bigger family cells yeah. and this big onion. And it's, they're very, you know, like I said, they're very tight. And no matter how you slice it, you're, you're, you start out an outsider, you know, mm-hmm. and you don't just actually break into, you know, these things. And, um, so, you know, the, the day as Dave can tell you for like on the compound for, you know, we work all night, come in, clean weapons, get breakfast, go to sleep, sleep till two or three in the afternoon. Um, the, the Intel guys have been working all day while we're, while we're sleeping, trying to yep. figure things out. <laughs> we, we almost all went to the gym upon, you know, waking up, mm. went to the gym, went, got, grabbed a plate of chow, and then you migrated to the talk and you kind of saw what was working up for the the day or the night. Yeah. Well, 
during that time period, you know, a lot of guys from the night before might be having aches and pains. A lot of guys might've taken some shrapnel they didn't want to tell you about, mm -hmm. you know, a lot of little things. Um, and once again, my only purpose being there was to take care of those guys. Yeah. That's it. I mean, 100%. And make sure. And that survive. meant, you know, 100% available. So even though I was a colonel, you know, lieutenant colonel, colonel, and, you know, most rangers don't walk up to colonels um, or, you know, and just, you know, tap you on the shoulder and say, hey, I got a niche, you know, or something like that yeah. to bother you because they're very, you know, disciplined and they don't, not yeah. complaining. Especially rangers. Yeah, especially <laughs> And, um, you know, but you want them to be able to approach you. So I always made sure that one, I, I know is never addressed by my rank. Mm. I, I always just prefer to be called doc mm -hmm. because I'm not in their chain of command. I'm combat service support. I mean, if I'm on an objective and there's a private first class and me and we're the last two guys alive, he's in charge. I am a non, you know, I'm a combat service support. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, so there was no need for me to, you know, but I needed to be somebody they could talk to. They could come and they could say, because they would hide injuries from their chain. Nobody ever wanted to be left out, left behind or be thought weak. Yeah. yeah. Uh, that was a huge deal. Um, and so you needed to be infinitely approachable. So, yeah, I mean, in the middle of sleep cycle or something like that, somebody might come up and tap on my shoulder and, you know, and say, hey, doc, I, I got an issue. Do you have, do you have a minute? And the one thing that you could never say to these guys ever was no. Mm -hmm. the, the minute you said you did not have time for whatever concern they had, wherever you were at. They would hide it. No, no. You had lost them. Mm. I mean, because if, say it was that private, I mean, he would if he came to you with a problem, you were too busy to handle it with him. He went back and he was, he'd be cleaning weapons with his fire team. And he said, you know, I met that new dog. He's a bit of an asshole. Yeah. And then by dinner time, the whole platoon thinks you're an asshole. And you're, you're see like, gossipers, huh? Like, yeah, Jesus. <laughs> see, it's like high school. All but you're sleeping again. six inches apart from each other. So, I mean, <laughs> it's really, you got nothing else to talk about. That's fair. Yeah. You know, so, but just being available to them all the time and them having the mindset that you're there for them, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that, that that's what got you invited to come forward and provide that care farther forward is that they, that they, that the, especially the young guys had the mindset that you're there for them. You're not there for to see how you're going to do or to get badges, pins and everything that you're there for them. And then once again, once they had that confidence in you, mm. you know, they didn't want to, they didn't want to go to the bathroom without you after that, you know, <laughs> uh, because you know, the, 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 everybody wants to come home and, you know, my biggest contribution to any of this was if I gave one of those young guys the confidence to do his job, you know, as selflessly as they do it, and that he might not hesitate for fear of injury because he knew that I was there mm -hmm. and that I would take care of him. That's what I offered. Yeah. yeah. Uh, That's kind of a weird balance between, or like a weird hybrid of military leadership and bedside manner. It is. It's very weird. Um, it's and kind of a uh, weird crossover of the two. Right. Um, one night we were out and uh, we, we had six significantly injured, you know, young rangers. I mean, guys that had to, four of them had to be carried out. And then we had a couple of inter, uh, injured um, national enemy combatants. Mm -hmm. um, and we, you know, we flew back and we flew to Bagram. And I, the, the, the two doctors running the ER at the big Air Force Medical Center at Bagram were classmates of mine from residency. I mean, two of my best friends in the world. And, you know, um, I'm, I'm wearing a, what I found to be a comfortable 
collage of uniform. <laughs> and, you know, it, yeah, and I, and I, well, you just find the things that work for you. Yeah. Because, you know, you go from freezing to sweating to death to freezing to sweating, you know, yeah. you're trying to find what functions. And then, um, you know, I have a, you know, uh, the one thing I can't grow hair on the top of my head, but I can grow a beard in, in two weeks that, you know, <laughs> can, can, can rival, you know, Grizz, Grizzly and yeah, gra- Grizzly, Grizzly Adams. Adams. <laughs> so, you know, I have a full beard and, you know, and everything like that. But, you know, when we came in with those casualties into that, you know, to that ER, and it was great to be able to fly into a level three trauma center. I mean, or actually a level one trauma center, a roll three, but, um, and have friendly faces there that knew me. And they also knew that these were my guys mm. and that I was going to dictate what happened even in that, once we got to that hospital. At the ER. Yeah. Right. So I came in, you know, and I'm, I'm giving a report on these guys and I'm directing. And it was very important that all those guys in those beds knew that I was still calling the shots mm. because that's their confidence level. That's where they're, they're not going to, they're going to, you know, what would we say, relax in the heart. They're going to be yeah. able to rest a little bit more easily knowing that that continuity of care does not end. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that was also, um, that, that level, that, that care all the way through was also at the time, you know, General McChrystal was our boss. Okay. And he, he fully expected that our, our docs, our medics were in charge of our casualties in all the way through the system. Mm-hmm. And I mean, he, he was the, you know, the greatest boss ever. Um, yeah. As far as, you know, when uh, he knew I was in charge over at the hospital and he didn't call every 15 minutes, but he, he was never asleep. The man, I don't think did sleep, <laughs> but when we, but he was waiting for my call yeah. to give him, you know, the port. And, but we have all these, so we have six guys and uh, two or three of them had to go to the OR and, uh, you know, for washouts and things, you know, that nature and dealing with the other ones. And I, I, you know, we used to go over and I'd go over to the ER over there and, get to know their staff because that's where I'm bringing my casualties in most cases. And I got, and it's a lot of them worked at Bamsey Wolford Hall in the area. So I knew okay. a lot of the, the, the staff, everybody was pretty comfortable with everybody and we would do what we could for them. They had to go through like the class eight system. Sometimes if they needed a ventilator hose, it would take them like three months to get it. Yeah. I could call back to Fort Bragg and have it put on the rotator and I could, you know, come over, you know, 24, 36 hours later. He said, you guys need this. Yeah. You know, once again, proving, being a value to you know, building bridges. Yes. So this was just a bad night uh, for timing wise because the, uh, the, not the hospital commander who I did know and, uh, but the, uh, the, the commander for the Air Force medical in theater, you know, came over to, unfortunately in a lot of cases when casualties came in, that was, um, that was a big happening. You know, people wanted to see and be involved in. Sure. This, so yeah. this, um, at the time he was, a, uh, I guess they call him Brigadier General Select came over and, and I understand his point of view. I mean, it's his hospital. I mean, he's ultimately the commander of that hospital and he walks in and he sees this, this guy wearing, you know, got only, you know, camo pants and a level five jacket oh, and a dude. beard and yeah. covered in blood and, you know, telling all of his people what to do. And he sure as hell knows I'm not one of his people. And he was just like, why is this guy calling shots in my ER? Mm. And he he came up and asked me, you know, what I thought I was doing. And I oh. said, yeah. And, and, you know, I said, I am taking care of my, my injured. He said, well, your job ended at the, you know, like ended at the door. Now it's our job to take care of things. I said, no, no, sir. It's not. And, uh, he started to say something and I, I, I normally consider myself a pretty easygoing guy, easy to get along with and everything like that. But yeah. there are times where, um, especially if I have, 
and for lack of a better word, my children are hurt. Yeah, you're standing in my way. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I can cloud up. I can cloud up in rain. You know, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I very abruptly, you know, he says, and I just looked at him and as respectfully as I could. I mean, like I said, I just said, "Sir, I'm responsible for these men. I'm going to take care of these men." Who do you need to hear that from? <laughs> and I'll find him. <laughs> and, you know, he, he, he said something. I said, you know, please hold your thought. And I walked over and I called my boss and I just said, sir, working pretty hard over here. Everything's looking good, but I'm having a little bit of, you know, of an issue mm. with the understanding that um, Taking care of I'm, your resp- I'm yeah. responsible for these guys. While they're here. And, you know, of course, my boss at the time just said, oh, I'm sorry to hear that. Would you please put him on the phone? <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, and I, I was not privy to that conversation. But, and if I knew my general, like I knew my general, he was very polite. You know, hey, would you please support, you know, Dr. Crawford and, you know, doing this, that, and the other thing. Yeah. Um, and, but you're, you're also talking to the guy that is pretty much the guy commanding the everything in the, the region the, 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 in the theater, yeah, you know, the for the most part. Yeah. And he's not somebody that you're going to say no to in any capacity, <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> you know, at all. That's so, a losing battle. What's that? But, you know, yeah. but that, that's, once again, that's that, that whole continuity of, I, you know, I had complete, you know, faith in the guys and I prayed that they had faith in me, but I also had complete confidence in the leadership of the guys and I had complete confidence in my leadership. Mm-hmm. I mean, I was never let down. I mean, whenever I had an issue, and if it was dealing with the care of a wounded, um, one of our wounded soldiers, I mean, there's nothing they wouldn't do. There was no, I mean, it, it was amazing. You know, you just, you just didn't want to pull that card, pull that yeah. trigger too so much. his response when he came back and handed you the phone. Well, I just handed it to him. And then, to be perfectly honest with you, I, I, I forgot entirely about him. Oh, okay. Mm. Because, well, Problem once again, solved. I know my boss. You yeah. were back in the... Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and I just went back to doing what... Focus mode. What I was paid to do. Yeah. yeah. And I took care of those guys. And once the, you know, last one was out of the, you know, OR, mm-hmm. and we had them all tucked in and had a plan for each of them, um, you know, I went back and then, you know, I reported to my boss and or bosses and kind of just told them. And, you know, the amazing thing is when you have a boss that has a photographic memory and an IQ probably somewhere north of 185 and smart people. Oh my God. He was a smart man. No, yeah, he he, is. I never saw him write anything down on a piece of paper, but he, he never forgot a name, never forgot a person. I think as an LT, everybody looked at up, uh, up to him anyway. Right. He's got an amazing, I've known, I knew him since he was a captain. Wow. When I was a ranger platoon leader, he was a captain. And then he was a chief of operations up at JSOC. Yeah. And, even when he was up there as a major, the one time I went up there for an operation, um, the whole, the whole operation center circled around him and he was the most junior field grade officer there. He was just you, you, natural born leader. Well, not only that. He was, just, he, he was, he, he was the smartest guy in the room. Yeah. He was a genius. He was a flat out genius, mm. but he was one of us. Yeah. And he cared for us like one of us. And, but he led, you know, you know, just superiorly. So like I said, I, once again, I, I, I was in the best of all worlds. I was working with the best soldiers and I had the best leadership taking care of them and me. And I had the best boss in the world at the time. So I, I was, it allowed me to do what I was there to do. And we got the guys through it and, every, you know, everybody, you know, made it home. 
And I went and, you know, and it was amazing when you're, I'm reporting to him and giving him a rundown on the injuries and everything like that. And I'm actually, you know, a fairly board certified experienced, you know, emergency medicine trauma kind of guy. And he's asking me questions that I would have expected from one of my staff when I was in training because I, there was nothing he didn't really seem to know a lot about. Mm. And he, he just, you know, he'd done with enough that he kind of knew sometimes what some of the complications could be. And like I said, you, you had, that was the other thing is when you were talking to him, you, you, you only ever related what you absolutely knew for a fact. Okay. You, you, <laughs> yeah. you know, it, it had to be 100% because A, if you ever tried to blow sunshine, I watched people on occasion try to blow sunshine up his rear end and that never ended yeah. well. Um, but B, it's just, you, you didn't, he was just, you know, you just told him what you knew mm-hmm. and let him make the decisions of a commander. Sure. And I had complete faith in the decisions he made as a commander. Yeah, you got to put your trust in him. Yeah. hundred percent. Let, let me ask you this, uh, not to, not to go too far back, but on, on the topic of continuity of care and when you're bringing these, when you're bringing these people into the hospital and taking charge. I understand that it builds trust and it increases the amount of camaraderie you have with that unit and it makes them rely on you or it, it makes them comfortable opening up to you, that kind of stuff. Is there, is that also a data driven decision? Do you find that as you bring, not you specifically, but in this circumstance, as you bring these men into the hospital and then you take charge after leading the medical you know, process on the battlefield, is there better results of survival or, you know, outcome of care? Is that a data-driven decision as well as the camaraderie? I I think if you look at the trauma data, Mm -hmm. um, I'm pretty sure that it universally will tell you that the shorter the period of time between injury and necessary surgical intervention greatly reduces, you know, mortality Mm -hmm. and morbidity, which morbidity is just a term that means the, you know, the how severe the the damage is and how residual the damage is. Yes. So, yes. And the key was always um, trying to, as we got more and more into the war and we had more and more casualties and a better understanding of casualties and casualty care, mm-hmm. it, the bosses, um, it, it very quickly figured out that as far forward as you could move that first surgical intervention, yeah. the better chances you had of everybody coming home. Of course. And... That I think has also panned out across all the EMS data and trauma center data from the civilian, you know, since the advent of EMS, in like the sixties and that sort of thing. Yeah. Okay. So it was, I was curious about that because I know it does build a, a significant amount of trust within the unit and unit cohesion obviously is very important when you're, when you're out hacking the mish, especially like you guys were. So I was curious if that was. 100%. I mean, it's just, uh, but Last thing in the world I was thinking about was data-driven outcomes. Of course, yeah. When I was out there. Um, and I, you know, I just didn't want one of those kids' eyes to open and my face not to be there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. You know, that they, they trust me, they had already given everything for the team. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The last thing I wanted them to, you know, feel was any fear or, you know, and I wasn't alone. No, no, don't make me wrong. I mean, I wasn't in charge of anything. I, I my, in our organization, we had... Uh, physician's assistants that were almost universally um, X-Ranger, SF, you know, PAs. Sure. And they, they were the guys that did the tactical interface. Um, they were the guys, because they had much more tactical experience than even, you know. Doc Schaefer, right? 
Brett Schaefer? Brett Schaefer. Okay, once again, another, I, I knew Brett Schaefer back when he was in Vicenza, Italy, when mm-hmm. we were there together, and then, you know, medical school, and then he was also one of my residents. Um, but Brett was a doctor. He was not a PA. Oh, okay. So he was also, he, Brett was exactly the same thing as I was mm-hmm. as okay. a physician. Well, he was, but his first job after residency was, he, he was actually the battalion surgeon for Sex and Ranger Battalion. And, uh, you know, Brett got wounded even before he got deployed. He, he got shot right through the calf on like the first live fire range he went to. Oh, accidental man. discharge. Oh, no. And, yeah. <laughs> Nicest guy. One of the best doctors you'll ever meet. One of the most experienced, you know, guys on the planet. And uh, it's that community, which is yeah. which is amazing. So it's, you know, your career has been so interesting in the fact that you have had uh, superior assets on almost Everything. every side. Right. Mm. Let me ask you this. Can you recollect a time where you faced a very challenging situation where just you were on scene and everything just happened to go wrong? Or has it always been like your ability to just take a breath, take a moment, assess the situation and execute? Yes. I mean, of course. I mean, their objectives are always, um, you know, they're, 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 they're a living, breathing, you know, moment of chaos and you know the worst case scenarios are always i'm there there's an injured soldier there mm-hmm. but i can't get to the injured soldier mm-hmm. safely or the or just the flow of the what we're doing on the objective and time's ticking yeah, and, time, and i'm and i'm sitting there and i'm like yes blood blood is leaving his body uh, or oxygen's not coming into his body yeah. and i'm not able to get there and mm-hmm. you know one of the things that we teach, you know, the only worse than having a casualty is having other casualties stacked up next to them. You know, the proverbial sniper takes the guy down in the middle of the road and then he shoots everybody that comes out to help him. Mm -hmm. You know, so when I was there and, you know, once again, on the objective, my movement, where I was at, where I was located at, uh, yeah, a little bit of feel on my own part, but in in the key situations, I was being controlled by the platoon sergeant, Mm -hmm. one of the the ground leaders. Okay. You know, and if he grabbed me and said, you know, hold what you got. We got to, we got to finish clearing that room or that floor. It's like, I can't, you know, and, you know, and, and so the guys there did buddy, you know, do buddy aid. And part of that was also the guys that were hurt just had to understand. They knew we were doing everything to get to them. Um, And like I said, there was never any question about that. Everybody, everybody was always pushing the envelope. Yeah. But those were the worst case scenarios where something was happening and I wasn't able to immediately be on the scene there. Um, and how does, what's, what's your feelings, what's your thoughts and emotions at this point in time when, you know, you're being pulled back, ready to be unleashed. Right. Are, you, are you just like, man, I need to get there right now. Um, I guess it just first, you know, you, you would try to get as much information as you could, yeah. mm-hmm. which was always very scarce. Mm-hmm. And then you start to try to mentally rehearse, you know, when I get there, I'm, you know, the sequence of events that I'm going to do. Oh, try to plan that out. Yeah. Try to plan that out, you know, very quickly. Um, very seldom was I, I mean, almost never was I at a place where I needed another tourniquet or I needed something, you know, by nature of the people that I was with and the support elements and the special operations aviation units that were supporting us. Um, you know, if it was possible to get it to me or I, I needed it. 
that 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 is the great one of the greatest blessings of being in that community is everybody mm. is so well trained, everybody is so forward, far well leading, equipped. Yeah. and well equipped. Yeah, I mean, I we, we have the best it, of everything. Every ranger has at least two cat tourniquets sure. them at all times, yeah. and you know we always use theirs on them first. I mean, uh, yeah, uh, you know the old I always. You know, I have an aid bag on my back, and most nights I would never take it off. I had pouches on my front. I used their stuff. Because once my aid bag was out and open, that was a casualty collection point. Yeah. Yeah. Because, you know, there was one night where I was seen, you know, running within my arms like a child and <laughs> shit flying out, you know, and everything like that. But, you know, the, the guy that had tapped me on the shoulder said, hey, the next guy coming down the alley behind me is not, not one of us. Oh. <laughs> you know, it's like, and, and I'm like, we got to go. And I'm like, once again, uh, Never hesitate, never, you know. Someone tells you yeah, to it, get up it, and move. Yeah, you, yeah move once up. again, 100% complete faith that. Yeah. And that's that communication yeah. that we're always talking about yeah. too, yeah. right? You know, he, he's on a flight team all the time. And, uh, and we always talk about being able to just blindly trust your left and right. Because yeah. you have to, there's no time to sit there and think. You know, is there another option if someone's telling you to get up and run? Yeah. yeah it's, it, <laughs> and, and once you have you know, a fair amount of experience out there and you, you understand that, you know, bad things will happen and bad things can happen despite the best preparation and the mm -hmm. best execution. Um, that a, a key indicator, a key lead into that is hesitation at a bad moment. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah. You know, uh, and, but the other thing is, I also knew that if I left everything that I owned laying right there <laughs> and because the absolutely nobody enjoyed watching me run. <laughs> I mean, it was, it was comedic at best. I mean, my knees were already, you know, half in the tank by that point. And they had to allow extra time for doc to catch up if I was in the mode where I was trying to move quickly. Um, I, you know, within an hour of being back, I would have a complete new set of kit, mm. you know, and, and that, once again, no other unit in the army or in, in the, you know, there was nothing that I couldn't replace in a few minutes. And that, that's why it was such, you know, so great to work in that organization, in those organizations. Um, and normally, even if I had left my stuff behind and I got to the ground evac or the, you know, the aerial evac, the person waiting for me there would have the exact same set of kit yeah. that I needed to do what I needed to do. Mm. And, you know, we also staged, you know, if we were coming in by bird or vehicle, I had my aid bag on my back. I had one latched onto a striker or onto a... <laughs> back of the designated Kazovac bird, you know, with a mm -hmm. complete wreath, another aid bag with more, because you can only carry so much, but we had it all tiered, you know, and then we had drop bags ready if we had to be early supplied, which only happened to me a couple of times. But, mm -hmm. um, you know, once again, you're working with the best people and preparation and contingencies and it's all laid out. Yeah. And that, I mean, that's, what's going to give you the best outcome, right? The most yeah. preparation, the most well-funded, the most ready, that's right. going to secure the, you know, yeah. <laughs> Well, outcome it, that you want you know but but on top of that you know when i did get to a casualty most of the time uh I, seldom if ever was it somebody that was right next to me mm -hmm. you know it was somebody that went through a door and there was a bad guy on the other side of the door you know when i would get there normally there would be a appropriately applied pressure dressing mm -hmm. you know a tourniquet would be in good position if it was indicated or necessary I mean, and IVs already placed. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, and if, if one of the medics got there before yeah. me, and you know, and, pushed, yeah. an IV would be in place, and analgesia may 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 not have been given, or they'd have a fentanyl lollipop. So, once again, I'm not. I, I was always in a position where I mean, it didn't matter if it was a, another, you know, one of the operator. The level of training that they had, yeah, taking care of their, you know, was 
was exceptional uh, and that sort of thing. Yeah. But, you know, I, my son would be upset with me. I didn't, funny story, you know, we always talk about running, you know, where somebody else was already down. Mm-hmm. Very dangerous because you know that that guy can get hit. And we were doing an offset infill into a place called Organ E. Oh, yeah. So, I, can't, I don't know how they came up with the names of the objectives, but this was Operation Deer Valley something or other. Uh, I think this is probably the fourth or fifth time we'd hit the same place because they kept, but it was one, and you come in from the north and, and we're coming down through the, the village and uh, we're on the sides of the street, you know, coming down and there's like one main street down the village to the to the river. Yeah. And they actually had uh, some overhead uh, uh, street lights that were still in effect. Normally our guys would pop those out. Uh, as we were coming through, but you know, we, we would move by a thing called scroll to the road, you know, as you're coming up mm-hmm. to each of these things. And, um, it's one guy comes up and, you know, put your scroll to the road and cross the street, then you face the other to provide moving security, but the flow continues. Okay. So, and it's kind of a slinky because, you know, the lead elements getting up toward the objective, the initial assaulters are getting up. So the bottom line is I'm, you know, I'm halfway back the, the element and getting ready to cross over the main street right when those guys made initial contact. So, Things start to light up. Stuff's flying through the air. I mean, I'm not right in the middle of it, but, you know, stuff flies everywhere. Yeah. But we had made contact, and, and the engagement is, is gone. And so it's my turn to, you know, cross the road. I watch the guy run across the road in front of me, and I, I take up, and I'm running across the road. And, I, you know, I got my aid bag on my back and body armor and about 80 pounds of kit, you know, above the waist. Sure. Mm-hmm. And I'm legitimately, I mean, I, you couldn't have dissected the room. I was dead center of that road. And I stepped on the most perfectly round pebble, short of a marble, <laughs> ever created. Oh, no. <laughs> and I mean, my foot went up. In the, I mean, the last thing I saw was my feet going up in the air <laughs> above my head. Oh, no. And me coming down. And I, you know, I came down on my left side and, you know, asphalt. And I didn't have an elbow pad on. Never went out without an elbow pad. You know, my arm went dead. I thought my arm was broken. Hit my, hit my head on the ground. Semi-conscious. In the middle. Oh, my, sorry. <laughs> semi-conscious, you know, days confused in the middle of the road. And just as I'm getting my orientation, which is probably one or two seconds. Sure. All of a sudden, three, three human beings are over top of me. Uh, one guy's got the, 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 the strap on the back of my body armor. Yeah. I, one guy's got a leg, one guy's got an arm. And all of a sudden I'm flying across the road. <laughs> <laughs> And I'm very unceremoniously thrown into the concrete drainage ditch on the other side of the road. And I promptly have, you know, three 200-pound men land on top of me. Yeah. And I'm in the bottom of this drainage ditch. And so I, I fell out there and got the ace. I got thrown in the drainage ditch. And I got beat up again. And then I got this guy kneeling over me. And he's ripping my stuff apart. <laughs> <laughs> Hands going up under my body armor, looking like that. And I, I, I still actually couldn't talk. You know, because I was still trying to... The wind did. Yeah, because yeah. the wind is knocked out of me. And finally, I was able to, you know, and I reached up and I grabbed him, you know, by the throat or the neck or the <laughs> chin strap. And I was like, and he, he looks at me and like he, he probably thought I was in like shock or something like that. And I, I said, stop, I'm okay. And he's like, he's looking at me like, I said, I'm okay. Yeah. And, he, and he, he's not believing me. And it, everything just stood still for that one second. I mean, the objective, you still hear gunfire, you know, 50 meters down the road or 30 meters down the road and stuff on the radio and everything like that. But I'm looking at this one young guy and he's looking at me and I'm like, I'm okay. I said, I just fell. <laughs> I slipped. Yeah. I fell. And he looks at me and I'll just never forget. He looked at me and his eye, you know, a little dilated. He goes, 
Doc, I've never seen anybody go down like that that wasn't shot. <laughs> it was probably the most ungraceful thing that these guys had ever seen. Like I had taken one freaking center of mass. Yeah. And it, I was injured, you know, but it was more from the, you know, and then we're, we're yeah. you know, then I'm up and I'm like trying to hide my, you know, I'm freaking <laughs> my arm, scraped you know, you know, everything like that. And we're, we, we, we completed the mission and then we had to walk out for a ways and, you know, I'm hurt and broken, stupid, you know, and I'm, 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 I'm whimpering to myself. Yeah. Cause I basically just felt like the NFL had used me as a tackling dummy. <laughs> and once again, I'm 42, 43 years old and we, we get back and we're doing the after action review and everything like that. And, and I, and I'm sitting there now I, I've trained most of these young guys at train ups and things like that. And, you know, I give the lectures on, you know, what you do and don't do when a guy's down in the middle of the street. These guys had done the absolute worst thing you could possibly do. <laughs> I'm down. They think I'm shot in the middle of the street. Throw you into the- <laughs> And three, not one of them, but three of them run out there and grab me in full open, right? Yeah. You know, expose themselves completely. No cover. Pick me up. No cover. Bullets are flying, you know, and run me across the street. So finally, you know, I'm back there and I probably self-medicated a bit at this point <laughs> and everything like that. Motrin, of course. And uh, the uh, finally I walk over and I'm just like, I'm looking at this, you know, the, the, the medic that was involved in this. And the thing I said, what the fuck were you guys thinking? <laughs> I said, if you thought I was shot, why in God's name would you run out in the middle of the street until both sides were secured to grab my fat ass? And... And, it's, and they, they, once again, I get this deer in the dead. It's like, fuck, you're the one guy that we were told that we come get you no matter what. Yeah. We can't let you die. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, so all of a sudden you're standing there and, and the honesty in their eyes is just 100%. And they're looking at you like you're stupid because we thought you knew. Yeah. But in this unit, all the things that we taught, all the rules that apply to everybody, mm. they, they were so protective of me that that rule didn't apply. Mm-hmm. And those guys didn't hesitate. They, mm-hmm. they, they just ran out there, grabbed a piece of me and, you know, and of course, needless to say in true Ranger history, um, I heard about that story nonstop for oh, bad. Day, days. Did you feel embarrassed? What's that? Were you embarrassed slightly? Yes and no. I mean, everybody falls. You're running under yeah. nods. <laughs> yeah. You know, you quit making, you know, you can always tell the rookies because they make fun of the guy that trips and falls when you're doing an infill under exactly. nods. Mm. And then two seconds later, they're, you know, they're, they're tumbling they down. They call the it eating shit for a reason. Yeah. But he's going to do it. So, you, no, I mean, yes. I, I, the fact that I felt to the extent that I did. <laughs> and Some I mean, people eat more shit than others. <laughs> yeah. But it was the middle of the road and, you know, the worst place in the world to do it. It was it was actually paved or graveled or something. I mean, it should would have been the last should have been the last place in the world to take a spill of that extent. Yeah, and I managed, you know, and that sort of thing. So you heard Doc like just a little embarrassed. It's yeah, okay. just a little, you know. <laughs> I mean, you got to have one though, right? Yeah, but you know, what, what four or five nights later, we're walking across the dark side of the moon, and some kid, you know, saw gunner, freaking stepped into you know stepped on some boards that were covering up an old covered up well, mm. and I mean he went down the well. Oh. <laughs> and he was like hanging off the side and, you know, I, I got up there and everybody's putting together their uh, snap links, their uh, things and trying to lower a rope to this guy. And he's screaming up at the squad leader. It's like, I'm going to drop my saw. No, don't drop me. You know? <laughs> don't and, do it. You know, yeah. The, so, the, you know, he, he fell down a well. Yeah. Once again, it could happen to anybody. He was just a yeah, poor absolutely. schmuck that yeah. happened I've, to stand. I've, and that's the other thing is no matter how, about how, how embarrassing something is, 
give it a night or two. Somebody else, something else is going to happen. Yeah. True story. You know, it's something bad's going to happen to somebody else. And then you just become a little bit less interesting. I fell down an entire mountain once. Yeah. Like, <laughs> with, uh, so I had six rounds of uh, Gustav, the HE rounds in, the, in my backpack. And they're eight pounds each. each yeah. yeah that's another so <laughs> you're wearing like, you know, 300 plus pounds with all your gear on and loose gravel down a mountain. And I went all the way down. I think I just gave up halfway through and just like faced it to the end. (laughs) And you feel embarrassed, but it's like everybody looks at you because they're going through the suck just as bad Bad as you. you. And they're like, they're like, it's all right, buddy. I feel you. (laughs) Now, it it really helps if it's not like your first deployment. Agreed. You know, and, you know, it really helps if maybe you're a tab ranger, you know. I was not tabbed and I was a private, so I got a lot of shit. Yeah, I was going to say, because it it is a somewhat unforgiving environment (laughs) for for the new guys when when something (laughs) bad happens. I mean, they're only going to tease the colonel so much, right? You know, it's like, at least in my face, Mm -hmm. you know. That uh, is a true story. Yeah, it's... So, but yeah, I, of course I was embarrassed. I mean, because it, you know, it, it, it made guys do something they shouldn't have done. And, uh, you know, I, I never wanted these guys to think that I was a liability out there. Mm. But at that moment I was, and they almost turned me into a permanent liability with their gentle handling. Uh, <laughs> at least I can say they didn't hesitate. Yeah. Uh, so that was, you know, interesting. Rangers aren't known for hesitating. Huh? No, not at all. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, that's, that's what you got to do. Man, uh, we could talk to you forever, dude. You're, yeah. you're, you know, just a wealth of knowledge and so well connected into the community, not only on the, physician side, but on the operational side as well. So we're going to definitely going to have to have you on again. Absolutely. Okay. Well, I, I got these, you know, I'm, I'm back doing silly things in silly places. So yeah, yeah, that's right. Still heavily involved in the community, um, on medical sides and operational sides. So we'll get you back on and we'll talk a little bit more specific now that we have a story and, a, and the fundamentals of who Don Crawford is. So thanks so much for coming on the show. My pleasure. Always really appreciate it. Do you have anything for the audience before we, we no, go? No, I, I, I just, you know, appreciate the opportunity to chat with you guys. And hopefully uh, if we, one of the topics I know we're going to discuss at some point in the future is yes. going to be PTSD and the ongoing issues we have with, you know, soldiers dealing with all the war trauma that they brought home. Absolutely. Well, let's and, get you on soon. And okay. we'll earmark the entire episode to kind of dive into post-traumatic stress, dealing with that, some of the common things as you face within that journey of recovery. Yeah, that sounds like a great time. Cool. Appreciate you guys. All right, everybody. This has been the Medivac Podcast. Thank you very much for watching. See you next time. See you guys. Bye.